following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, Got to play pinball and put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the Welcome to the second hour of the Tom Dupree Show. Yeah, there you go. Do it. Uh, You can like us on Facebook, uh, DupreeFinancial.com. You can also uh, look us up uh, on the web, www.DupreeFinancial.com. Facebook, what are are we on Facebook? Just Dupree Financial Group. Yeah. Philip Sexton now sitting in with us today good morning good morning so let's talk a little bit about the market and uh some of the things that went on this week and one of the articles you've got here with us is uh mr market just got inside your head don't let him mess with you investors should get used to big stock price moves like monday's 600 point drop in the dow because they're here to stay says jason zweig yeah, um, this is actually a really good article about um, investor psychology of sorts. So it says uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 617 points, or 2.4%, on Monday, then promptly went up by an almost identical amount over the next three days. If you headed off for a hike in the wilderness on May 10th and came back on May 16th, you might have concluded that nothing had happened. Over that, over that full stretch of those four trading days, the Dow ended up just about where it had started. But big market moves like flashbulbs that go off in your fa- face do blur your vision, whether investors realize it or not. Uh, so Robert Schiller, uh, a Nobel Prize economist, uh, he's he's been known for a lot of uh, famous uh, ratios, I guess the Schiller P.E. and some things like that, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a, a cyclically adjusted, uh, you know, price-to-earnings ratio. Right. Uh, but he's he studies psychology. So it's uh, he goes on. Market psychology. Yes. So he did a survey back um, a long time ago. But uh, so it, it's from the 1987. Uh, yeah. In a survey he conducted immediately after the Dow fell 23% on October 19th, 1987. Uh, you remember that like it's, you know, vivid in your memory. Very much so. I've heard you talk about it several times. Uh, Professor Schiller asked investors what was most important to them in evaluating the prospects of the stock market. The crash in the Dow had much more uh, was much more important, they said, than major economic indicators, geopolitical events, or remarks by policymakers or financial commentators. Uh, so... <laughs> It goes on to say, um, you know, it, when when things are volatile, people act on the volatility. It does it, at some point in everyone's mind, the volatility is going to be ever present above fundamental analysis. You know, he even talks in here. He says that, uh, you know. Uh, when you look at a professional versus an amateur, uh, you know, there's a there's a surprising similarity in understanding these things between individual and professional investors. The professional may be better at reading balance sheets and income statements and the like, but not at evaluating uh, whether this is 1929 all over again. 
So really when you when it boils down, uh right, you know, everybody is gonna act off emotion uh at some point in their life. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I found interesting here is you know, if I was to tell someone who's trying to do research on stocks is that you have to you have to look at everything. You know, you can't just follow Yahoo Finance or the Wall Street Journal or something right. to get all of your, your news sources because that's a one-line narrative. Yep. And on top of that, you've got to be able to bounce your ideas off of other people too. You know, because... At some point, an emotional bias is going to come into play. Right. You know, you're gonna you're gonna become solely convicted on something that you you you're acting out of emotion instead of the conviction at that point. Yep. Uh, you know, and I think that's one thing that we've we've done a very good job at over the past. I, I mean, since I've been since I've been with the firm, that's almost six years. Uh, is it really? Yeah. Well, five and a half. <laughs> And you know it's a, it's a team based approach. We we bounce ideas off of everybody. You know, when I read this article, I really was I saw one word fear. Yeah, I mean that's really what this article's about. Mm-hmm. He used the analogy of the caveman. Caveman's walking down the you know a path, and he he sees a, a bear, maul, you know an animal, and it scares him, and he decides that he's not going to. Um, ever go down that path again yeah. you know and and uh it's you know it's absolutely based on fear oh yeah okay and that's what happens think about uh you know the great stock market crash of 2008 okay when shearson lehman went down and all that everybody remembers that right that time and it's a scary time and it creates a lot of fear and 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 that's what happens when we get scared. We make bad decisions. Well, I can't tell you how many people have came in our doors and said, "Oh, I lost so much money back in two thousand eight. I'm never investing in the stock market again." Yep. You know, it's the the whole. I saw a bear. Yeah. <laughs> it attacked me, and it attacked and me. I'm never yeah. going in the woods again. Right. Yeah. Right. So you know, it, that's 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 one of the nice things I've loved. Watching down at the pre-financial group, the lack of the anxiety is not present in our operation. Maybe it should be. Well, well, <laughs> I think that's because of the approach that we take. But see, and I, I, to to bounce off of that, to to be a little bit different, I think anxiety is present, but I think that it's never present in every person's emotional base that day. Right. You know, I may come in one day and and be uber anxious about you know one of the stocks. And then I'll I'll sit there and I'll say this is, you know, it, it's 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 gone down. Tom, it's gone down, Mike. I I don't I don't like it. And then they're going to be like, "Well, why don't you like it?" You know, they they're going to bring logic. As long as as long as somebody at the table isn't Acting on the same emotional base. That's correct. They bring logic to the table. It's another real good reason to have, uh, you know, a financial advisor, a fiduciary, looking after your your precious investments. Exactly. Right. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. At the top and 30 minutes past the hour, we get to the bottom. Get to the bottom of what happened on today's top stories. Some very big things. It's a story that you have to hear. For top of mind awareness. So keep me informed. I like to listen. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. A fiduciary is a person or organization that owes to another the duties of good faith and trust. It is the highest legal duty of one party to another, and it means being bound ethically to act in the other's best interests. At Dupree Financial Group, we act as a fiduciary to our clients when managing their investments. This means simply that we put their interests first. We accept no commissions or transaction fees, only an asset-based percentage fee of our clients' assets, which directly aligns our interests with theirs. Think about it. A financial advisor who does well when you do well. 
If you'd like to know more about how this might work for you, give us a call at Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a no-obligation meeting and a discussion of your account. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show, we got some visitors. Introduce yourselves. Come on over here, get in the mic real quick and introduce yourselves. My name is Charles DeWitt. I live in Madrid, Spain, and I'm happy to be in Lexington. I'm here for my daughter's graduation from Center College down in Danville. You're right. Today. Madrid, Spain. All right. And? Yes, I'm John Hendry, a former roommate from college of Tom Dupree's. I'm here from College Station, a proud fighting Texas Aggie, and I'm here also to visit these two guys. I love it. There you go. Swanee college mate. Swanee, Swanee connection. All right. That's it. All right, let's go to the next uh, story here. I don't want to see him fail. A firm takes a chance on ex-inmates. Just like you were talking about earlier, guy, um, there has to be uh, some sort of uh, dipping into the pool of people that have been unhirable in the past, you know, in order to begin to uh, beef up the job pool because we're at full employment we're right at now. we're at full employment let me let me jump in with some numbers just so you guys kind of have an idea what's going on end of march we had 7.5 million jobs that were unfilled filled in the united states of america 17 percent of those were uh of our employees right now are in the private sector work work with companies less than 20 people percent of the population that's right that's right the problem is, is we got low unemployment. We've got excellent economic conditions. Business is good, but we can't find workforce. And what this firm is doing is, you know, stepping up and doing exactly what Rob Perez was talking about in the first hour at DVA. Taking the rest coatings of Chicago seeking workers in a tight labor market confronts heart-rending dilemmas. When John Brady showed up for work at Progressive Coding in late January, it was a victory for owner Stephen Walter and his managers. With the job market tight, a small company in October hired Mr. Brady, who had a criminal record through a retraining program. He worked about two months and then got fired for a drinking problem. That's right. Now, he, he got fired for a drinking problem because he had, you know, it's back what we've been talking about. You know, he wasn't learning how to live sober. He wasn't getting the proper recovery that he needs. That's a big part, and I think you're going to see more of this happen in our economy where treatment facilities and long-term care programs for alcohol and drug addiction are going to start helping our people. They have to because there's no alternative. I mean, you're not going to be able to find workers anywhere else. Right, and here's the thing that's kind of interesting. The workforce that is out there that does not have these problems they're getting gobbled up by the big companies because the big companies have a competitive edge. They can offer better benefits, better pay. So the small businesses are really being affected by this. And that's what we've got to start paying attention to. Small business got no choice but to hire the second chance worker. Now there's a, there is a, there's a hook in this, though, and it's a positive hook. And I love talking about it. The second chance worker is probably one of the best hires you can ever make because they have this attitude of thankfulness for being given that second chance. So they do things that sometimes our workforce doesn't do. They they don't possess that entitlement. You owe me. 
attitude. They have this thank you for the job attitude. They come in early, they work late, they don't complain, and their whole objective is to prove themselves in gratefulness for the opportunity. And they end up being very, very successful. Well, I think that the other the other attitude, too, is the, uh, you know, last, last hand on the ledge type attitude. Like, this is, you know... Yeah, this last. is the, this is the make or break right here, and then you you there's one of two two routes you can go down at this point, which like you said, guys, work hard and and get back on your feet or fall, basically, you know. And, and I think too from an economist standpoint, I'll, I'll bring the 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 Adarsh in here from the economist standpoint. Emmy is is that the more that this happens and and the more things like the shepherd's house can can contribute and you know people can hire like deviate and get people back into a a lifestyle of of living sober as as guy has put it many a times you know a lot of these people may have some good skills that really haven't been able to have a, a fair competitive advantage because of a a, a history of you know, alcohol addiction where it caused them to have a history of tardiness or not show up to work. And, you know, if you can show, hey, I've I've done this job for four years now, I'm I'm four years sober, you know, it's almost like a uh like a driving record. Right. Where after so many years the the stuff falls off. John, I wanna bring you into this conversation. Pull up and get a mic. Um you, you're in Central Texas, and um, you know people think Texas land of full employment, that kind of thing, economies humming, that type of thing. Are there problems like this out there also? I mean, are, are you facing addiction problems, that kind of thing, problems with the labor pool and that type of thing? Yes, the addiction issues I think are throughout our country and uh, getting worse. And there's a horrible stigma related to it, not only undependability but uh people don't want to hire felons for example yeah and the addiction things can't hire them yeah and the addiction things are very secret and a dark a dark place that people are dealing with and and i if i could just volunteer i found some real blessing by being involved in celebrate recovery yeah a ministry a uh a steps ministry that's helped a lot of people overcome what we call hurts habits and hang-ups and uh, I know a lot of people that have overcome major issues like alcoholism, drug addiction, and other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's helped them have life again and get employed and stay employed and often winning their, <clears throat> winning their families back. Yeah. Isn't that something? It's, it's, a, it's a miracle and a blessing. So. Yeah. It's, it's that, it, that whole issue of social responsibility. And, and we, we talked a lot about it the first hour, that businesses have to become more open-minded. I remember years ago talking to an HR executive right here in Lexington and of one of our largest employers about this problem of not wanting to give the second chance worker an opportunity. Can't hire felons. It's, it's a policy violation. There's too much liability force. And she went all the way down the list of all the reasons why. And I said, but this is what you don't understand. So don't hire that person. Don't take a chance. But why are you giving the community $2 million to the United Way to make a difference and to help folks that need help, but you won't help the guy that needs a job? I said, here's what happens. That poor guy gets discouraged. He eventually goes back to old habits, goes down on the street, breaks in somebody's home, steals something, sells it at the pawn shop, okay? Then the cycle begins because he's got to feed his family or she has to take care of her family. And then the next thing you know, he doesn't get caught. That's the problem. He ends up doing it again. And I looked her straight in the eye and I said, here's what happens. He'll start robbing your employees. And then he's going to rob your business. Mm -hmm. And then the cycle starts all over again. And who ends up paying for it? We, the taxpayers. It's so simple. Common sense. Yeah. Common sense solutions, but we must have accountability. On well, this article too, and this this will hit home for what 
you know, you've, you've done a, a big portion of your life on guide sets. So at Progressive, it's low-skilled positions started at $12 an hour, which uh, basically minimum wage. Progressive uses temp agencies for recruits, but about three-quarters don't make it past one day. The unemployment rate continued to get so low, uh, uh, Mr. Walter says, that the quality of people from those sources, which had traditionally been so good for us, had gotten unemployable. Right. So to expand his candidate pool, he went. Had to come outside the box, and that's what a lot of the companies hey, are starting to do. Charles, I want to ask you something. Um, is there a problem with this in Spain, opioids and stuff like that? Uh, is there a drug addiction problem? Yes, but I think that the bigger issue, the deeper issue that we're talking about here is not related to uh, Kentucky or Texas or Spain. It's a worldwide problem. And I don't have a lot of information on drug abuse or the unemployment situation. But I do think the concept that you're talking about here of giving people a second chance is a profound concept or, or, or topic because if you think about it, I think everybody here is a believer in God in some sense of the word. I don't really know your backgrounds, but all of us have been given a second chance. Yeah. Right. All of us have been given. And so what you're really talking about is a question of mercy yeah. or compassion. That's right. Some people have been caught and been punished for it in, in the jail system and others haven't. But the question is, and I think you used the right word there, Guy, accountability. We do right. need discernment. We do need uh, uh, wisdom in making these decisions about who to buy, who to hire, to hire good employees. But it's a question of uh, are we going to extend mercy to people just like we've been extended mercy. Right. That's so good. That's powerful. It is powerful. We've all been given a second chance, and maybe in my case, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten <laughs> second chances. Uh, and I'm grateful. Believe That's me. That's called a tenth chance. <laughs> a tenth chance. <laughs> and I was actually going to say, too, you know, I mean, how many, how many chances is, has has Annie given you? Or how many chances has Elizabeth given you, Tom? Like, you know, I know Autumn's given me four or five at this point. You know, I'm, I'm just on a on that level. Yeah. Uh oh. We're up at about twenty. <laughs> twenty. Probably One so. a year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, this is the thing I want to say about all of this. DV eight and Rob Perez and what he's doing with that concept and what did we learn from him? One of the top restaurants in the country in ter terms of ratings and one of the best customer service experiences in the country. And look who his employees are. That's right. A lot to be said for that. Yeah, it does. You have to have a gift for doing it and, and a commitment to it. And that kind of thing must be at the core of your mission. Yes, sir. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Philip Sexton, Guy Hugelin, and a host of others. News Radio 630 WLAP. Kentucky Sports Radio, Hardee's, and All Trade Services are proud to present the annual Lexington KSR Golf Scramble. Teams are on sale now at WLAP.com. The KSR Lexington Golf Scramble will be May 20th at the University Club. This is a chance for you and your friends to join Matt Jones and the KSR crew for a day on the links. There are just a few foursomes available, so you will need to act fast. Come golf with Matt, Ryan, Shannon the Dude, and Drew Franklin. The third annual Lexington KSR Golf Scramble is brought to you by Hardee's and All Trade Services. Summer starts here at Kentucky's number one Toyota dealer, Green's Toyota. During our huge Memorial Day sale going on now. With special savings on our most popular models. So hurry into your dealer of choice for over 50 years. The new FN 509 midsize 9mm pistol is now part of FN's legendary concealed carry lineup. And it is a natural fit. With its smaller grip frame modeled after the battle-proven million rounds tested FN 509, the FN 509 midsize comes with two 15-round magazines and naturally improves concealability. Available at your local firearms dealer. FN, the world's most battle-proven firearms. So we have things happening. The question is where? China, North Korea, in Venezuela, the border, Russia. It will happen. And when it does, it's happening. It'll happen. It's moving. On News Radio 630 WLAP.
Missouri State Legislature, the latest to pass tough new restrictions on abortion. The governor promising to sign. All of it leading to having the law challenged and reach the Supreme Court, where the new balance of power could overturn Roe versus Wade or dramatically change the landmark decision which declared abortion legal. ABC Stephanie Ramos, a manhunt for five suspects in Sacramento, California. Police there say an overnight apartment complex. There was an incident. One person killed and three others, including a four-year-old boy injured, a shooting, police calling it targeted. Calling it fake news, President Trump downplaying reports that key members of his national security team are at odds over how to deal with an undisclosed threat from Iran. The U.S. easing tariffs on Mexico and Canada. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying that'll help the three countries finalize a deal to replace NAFTA, adding that it would never would have been ratified if those tariffs imposed by the Trump administration stood. Dave Packer, ABC News. We've got a mix of sunny clouds across the region on your Saturday. A couple of thunderstorms joining the summer-like fun this afternoon. Highs in the middle 80s. Late-day thunderstorm possible to wrap up your weekend on Sunday. Ahead of those storms, 80 to 85. And a few of the storms Sunday evening could be strong. A little better weather, right at 80 on Monday. Make it a great weekend. I'm WKYT Chief Meerages Chris Bailey on your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. Attention Lexington. Exciting news at the Hamburg Liquor Barn on Manowar. 20 ribeyes, $30. Look for the Big Ten in the parking lot of the Liquor Barn in Hamburg. That's right, 20 ribeyes, 20 ribeyes, 20 ribeyes, $30. Tired of Omaha prices? 20 ribeyes. 20 ribeyes. That's right, 20 ribeyes for only $30. Plus, on the big truck, New York strip, fillets, T-bones, and marinated chicken breasts. Everything will be sold today, and you will not pay Omaha steak prices. Last chance for 20 ribeyes. 20 ribeye steaks, $30. Almost $1 each. Look for the big truck in the big top 10 at the parking lot of the Liquor Barn in Hamburg. Our driver has been authorized to move everything that's left. You're not going to beat the taste of Midwestern beef, and you're not going to pay Omaha steak prices. Vacuum sealed and individually wrapped. Last chance, 20 ribeyes, 20 ribeyes, 20 ribeye steaks for $30. Look for the big truck and the big top 10 in the parking lot of the Hamburg Super Liquor Barn on Manowar. If you're itching to shake off the winter blues, jump headfirst into spring at Kentucky's diverse state parks. Enjoy full-service resort lodges, cozy cottages, and scenic campsites for your whole crew, or just for two, plus top-rated golf courses and breathtaking lakes, perfect for exhilarating adventures or peaceful escapes. Put a little spring back in your step in the bluegrass state. Plan your Kentucky State Parks getaway today at parks.ky.gov. 630 W. LAP. Okay, back on the Tom Dupree show. China could lose face, get rich from a trade deal. So are they going to do both at the same time? What's this all about? Well, you know, it's 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 always the forefront in the news. Um, figure out we put it in here. But what they're talking about is, um, you know, what China's what China's up against. Uh, so in in the country, you're seeing income start to rise uh you know what what made china the the big high growth machine that they were was they were a low income pool uh that could make things uh after shipping things you know across the country could make them at a much cheaper price Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was much more competitive well that competitive edge is over the years as the country has grown has started to erode you know it's just because of just natural natural progression of the economy uh so that's what it says in the in the article the country is beginning to bump up against income levels where some scholars believe nations are at a higher risk of rapid growth slowdowns as their cost advantage and cheap exports erodes but they fail to innovate rapidly enough in high tech um you know so then it goes on to say only a handful of low and middle income nations 
have managed to power into high income ranks since 1960. Just 25 out of 156 as of two, uh, 2016, according to Capital Economics. Whether China can buck those odds is probably the most important economic question of our time and will reshape the global investment environment. So this is kind of crazy. A simple example illustrates the stakes. If China keeps growing at around 6% a year and the U.S. keeps growing at around 2%, 15 years from now, China's economy will be the largest in the world. Wow. If, however, China only grows at a compound annual rate of 4%, the U.S. economy will remain about a fifth larger. To be sure, that still means a massive Chinese economy. It would also mean a markedly poor overall populace, upending growth plans of consumer-focused multinationals and making rising military expenditures more difficult. So what it talks about, too, in the article about losing face, what you've seen in China is a lot of uh, anti-competitiveness um, from the state sector. You know, a lot of uh, uh, state state bank... Uh, you know, state financial stuff where, you know, they're, they're controlling everything. And it gets to the point to where, uh, you know, so, for example, public policy in recent years is focused on shoring up the debt-addled state sector through industry consolidation, often at the expense of private competitors. Uh, when you look at what what they're trying to say here is, is what the country needs to do with a deal is is and what trump is trying to really get is to say hey let us be competitive you know let us come in and, and compete and quit stealing all of our our technological advances you know if we try to come in and compete on things um you know quit quit making it hard for u.s um companies to come in and, and do what they want to do you know uh, when you when you look at apple Apple is a huge phone phone maker, but when you look at Apple in China, I think it's like maybe the fourth or fifth in terms of sales. Really, behind, uh, you know Huawei and Xiaomi, and I think a, a couple others. Um, and it's a part of its price, but the other part is is you know they just well they have wait a minute, Phil they have a the Chinese companies have a competitive advantage, big time. Yeah, right. Number one. The, the Chinese banks lend, they provide capital for these companies, which the American companies are not getting that option. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, for the most part. So there's a competitive advantage there. They give them better tax breaks and things of that nature, correct? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So, I mean, they could cut their nose off to spite their face is the way I understand this article. Well, and, and really when you look, too, and it's <laughs> – so here's a here's a tidbit. Even successful Chinese companies like Tencent are exposed to a high level of government inter- interference once they reach scale. That weighs on returns. Or the companies that grow to scale may do so primarily because of political connections and cheap finance, as you just pointed out, rather than quality per se. Either way, you know that conclusion. It's not encouraging, because basically what what you're seeing is is kind of the the government picking who wins and who loses of sorts yeah um you know they've recently kind of rolled back that a little bit and encouraged the the private sector banks to start lending to small small businesses uh because you know really there was no small business lending going on at all right and the other thing too when you look at uh you know and i've always said this that for an economy to stably grow over time, you need population growth. It's just you look at Japan, for example, population growth has been flat to negative, you know, and the, the economy hasn't done anything for well over, you know, a decade or two decades now. Uh, China is actually starting to buck up against that as well. So now in order for them to continue to grow the way they want to grow, if they're not growing the population at the rate that it once was growing, now the U.S. Got, birth rate is at a low for 32 years. Yeah, and the only reason that the U.S. can sustain growth is immigration. That's right. You know, so when when you look at that, to to do to continue to grow, you've got to create credit, right? And if you're controlling the credit, uh, the, the creation of credit, who gets credit? Yeah, taking out all the competition. Well, now you're you're, you're choking yourself off. Well, and then think about the the older generation of china i mean they're starting to retire correct 
So when they the Chinese start retiring, I don't know what the average age of retirement is in China. But I don't either. But they're going to start spending less, which is going to have an impact. Correct? Exactly. You know, it, it's it, it'll decrease consumption. You know, and and when you look, you don't have it. It's almost kind of similar to the baby boom generation here. You know, you've got this big slog going out of the workforce every single year. Well, now you've got to be able to to flip it back and and create the same amount of jobs or more to continue that consumption trend. And then on top of that, you've got to make the people that are consuming want to consume more and have the... I guess the confidence, the, the oh. psychological confidence to consume more, that's where credit creation comes in. You know, and when you're, when you're a small business in, in China you're, or when you have an idea and you're like, I want to be a small business up until recently and, and you know, I can't even get any financing. Why should I do it? I'm just going to stay yeah. here where I know I can survive. Yeah, It's a survivor's mentality almost instead of an entrepreneur's mentality. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask Tom this question because you're the you're the you probably have some insight. China's going to have to cut a deal with the United States, aren't they? Yeah, they're going to have to end this. It, yeah, it, it, uh, it's too devastating for them in the long run. Right. right, that's absolutely true. Okay, it's our it. We're their biggest market, and you know the tariffs hurt them a lot more than they hurt us. That's right. So then the market's probably reacting to that, isn't it? Well, it just depends. I don't know if the – let's say the tariffs all got called off tomorrow. What do you think the markets would do? If the tariffs all got called off tomorrow, it depends on the explanation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Not a tweet. Yeah. Not a tweet. If, if, if Trump calls the tariffs off and say, I'm calling them off because – we're signing a deal next yeah. Friday. The market, the market moves. Would go to new highs. Yeah, it, it breaks through. It breaks through its all-time high and, and just moves on. Moves yeah. on with life. If he says I'm, I'm knocking the tariffs off because they're not helping, and this is where I had a stalemate, and I'm just going to quit. Then, then the market drops at that yeah. point. Well, so Trump tweets on Tuesday that. He says, when the time is right, we will make a deal with China. So when's the time going to be right? What does he really mean by that? I don't know. <laughs> that's Well, that's a good answer. Yeah. It's it's like um, it's like putting a kid in timeout. You never know how long you're putting them in the corner for. Great analogy, <laughs> Philip. It's, it's, it's when you know that that kid understands that what they did was wrong and they're not going to do it again. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Great, great analogy. All right. So China's in timeout. We're putting them in a corner. Wonder if they know that. (laughs) I mean, $200 billion in imports. It says here, Trump says, seize China deal when time is right. right. Yeah. I mean, mean, we impose duties on $200 billion. Wow. A lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of cargo ships coming over here. My son last night at dinner showed me a picture. I'm getting kind of off subject, but it's beautiful. A picture of a Tesla, a battery powered barge, ocean barge, carrying you know containers. Made overseas. by Tesla. Made by Tesla. Really? How about that? Well, and and it's it's coming soon. To, really fascinating. To top this off, too, President Trump, I feel like, is doing this at the right time because when you look at what, you know, we're talking about how an economy develops. When you look at the U.S., we're, we're basically a service-driven economy now. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at the manufacturing sector that, you know, brought us up through the, you know, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up to probably, what, maybe the 80s? Yeah. You know, we've we've been transitioning more and more to service sector, service driven sector. Um, And you're starting to see the beginnings of that in China. But at the same time, they're still very much a manufacturing and and an export driven economy. Mm -hmm. So 
you you need to strike while the iron's hot. I guess is what I'm saying is, is in, while our economy's strong, also while our economy good point. Strong, while while we can withstand something like that, and while they still need us, you know, because if a, if if you saw the manufacturing shift out of China and go to somewhere like Vietnam per se, you know, and and China slowly turn into what the U.S. is, where they're growing at, you know, three four percent, but they're a service driven economy. Well, now, you know, we don't it, it's we don't have power over them no leverage there's no leverage at that point right now we have the leverage and that's right. that's kind of what you know the the timing is all about that and and when the leverage is is gonna pull enough to get what we want all right okay let's take a break here it is the tom dupree show it's news radio 630 wlap while they're stumping, he's trumping. The race is wide open. And as the 2020 presidential race begins, we'll bring you all the news, insight, and analysis. A political circus. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. A fiduciary is a person or organization that owes to another the duties of good faith and trust. It is the highest legal duty of one party to another, and it means being bound ethically to act in the other's best interests. At Dupree Financial Group, we act as a fiduciary to our clients when managing their investments. This means simply that we put their interests first. We accept no commissions or transaction fees, only an asset-based percentage fee of our clients' assets, which directly aligns our interests with theirs. Think about it. A financial advisor who does well when you do well. If you'd like to know more about how this might work for you, give us a call at Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a no-obligation meeting and a discussion of your account. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. We're already doing it. Japan tests unorthodox economic doctrine. What about it? So, yeah, I this is this is from an economist standpoint too. It's just a little funky. Uh, yeah. So they're yeah. they're talking about modern monetary theory, which in its crudest form suggests government deficits don't matter. It's just an unorthodox doctrine debated mostly by economists and left-wing Democrats. Uh, but in Japan, MMT is the center of a policy battle with imminent consequences. Whether to proceed with a sales tax hike designated to trim the deficit. Um, so it says some members of parliament led by ruling conservative party lawmakers argue Japan doesn't need higher taxes because the country's inflation is less than 1%. The theory suggest tax increases are needed only when inflation is out of control. I've got a serious problem with that because the way I look at it is is when, when you're borrowing money, like the U.S. borrows money, we run a deficit, you, you're, you're borrowing against your, your economy, which in turn, uh, to put it into to everyday, an, an everyday example, it's like your economy is your house. And the country's debt is the mortgage. Well, you you've got to continue to borrow and refi the mortgage. Got to be a, ha- a house that generates revenue. Well, you yeah, you've got to continuously refinance the mortgage every year, but the house has to continually go up and go up in value, I, yeah. or else and, your loan to value turns from and in rent. Yeah, it turns to sixty to seventy to eighty, and that's really what this is trying to say is that you know it doesn't matter because the government owns the majority of the debt the government buys the majority of the debt well it does matter because once you hit a hundred percent loan to value and you start to try to refi things get a little squirrely you know eventually somebody's going to look at that and say i don't want that loan and then you're going to have a problem on your hands and that's really what it you know, uh, in, in all seriousness, it's it's kind of scary when you look at what Japan's trying to do. Um, but it, it kind of piggybacks off of the whole 
China thing from a um, you know economy standpoint, and that what I was talking about is that Japan is going to continue to not grow because of you know there, there's no real reason to create credit. Well, they're not cr- creating uh, more there's no, citizens. They're not creating babies. They're not yeah. bringing people in the country. So you know they're just in a in a flux. What they really want to do is just tax the people for the deficit year in year out. Well, we'll just tax them. Yeah. Just have a little sales tax. And I've always, Why not? I've always thought that was a, a, a weird problem because in, when you look at government, it's always, oh, we need we need to, to find money for this. Let's tax. What about the budget? Is there slack in the budget? Right. <laughs> well, you know, the, and it, we're not even talking about additional costs that, come, that Japan has to deal with. Okay? Pension, health costs. All these other things, too. They're just rolling up all this debt, but there's auxiliary issues yeah. in play here, too. And you, and you talk about, <laughs> this, is, this is weird, too. So you talk about the, um, you know, the no growth, the low inflation and everything. At some point, your population is going to bottom out. Right. At some point, your birth rate is going to go higher than your death rate. Mm-hmm. And then inflation is going to trigger back up. So what you've done is you've created a future problem. You know, but it doesn't matter because you're going to be dead and gone. It's somebody else's problem at that point. Uh, that that's that's the real scary thing. Then you flip it into some Argentinian <laughs> Greece disaster. Although Japan can print their own money, oh yeah. Then you've just got a currency that's worth nothing. Yeah. That that that's yeah. Well, you're making me feel better already. Yeah. We don't own any <laughs> any yeah. Japanese debt. We don't. We don't. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry about it. All right. There's, this, you wanted to talk about this one here. Yes. This, this oh, is, golly. So there's an article from Barron's, and it's titled, $25 billion brokerage makes RIA bet. So it goes on to say, uh, aiming to capitalize on the – so, all right, I'm going to start from the beginning. The number of registered investment advisors continue to grow, as do the assets these firms manage, a trend driven by – in part, former brokers' desire for independence and the ability to market themselves as fiduciaries who put clients' interests first. Aiming to capitalize on this dynamic, Benjamin F. Edwards, the St. Louis-based brokerage with more than $25 billion in assets under management, is launching a corporate RIA for independent advisors. The new RIA called Edwards Wealth Management already has signed up its first practice, St. Louis Dunlop Investment Group, which has $230 million in AUM. Its principals, Blake Dunlop and son Connor, played hockey professionally before entering finance and joined Benjamin F. Edwards, broker-dealer, nearly 10 years ago. Edwards Wealth Management will provide business and technology infrastructure, compliance oversight, investment management services to advisors, according to a news release. The RIA, which is a custody agnostic which is custody agnostic enables advisory business owners to maintain their full independence and focus on working with their clients and growing their practice while outsourcing their middle and back office to us. Chris Keller, managing director of Edwards wealth management said in the release. Now I have a really tough time with this because if I'm a fiduciary and I have to put my client's interests first, shouldn't I know what they're invested in. Shouldn't I know what I'm putting their money in? Right. Well, don't they know that in the, in this? No, it's so it says business technology infrastructure, compliance oversight, investment management services. Well, uh, the, <laughs> the, the people that are the RIAs would have to be on board with that. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is, is I think that the <laughs> definition of fiduciary has changed ever since the DOL rule came out and you've seen a lot of broker dealers shift to the RIA standard. The definition of fiduciary has gotten lax. Let me tee you up on this one, Philip. How in the heck? He's already teed up. No, well, how in the <laughs> heck can you be a fiduciary where you're putting your client's interest first? 
when you don't have any control of all the back office support and the people that are doing the research of the stocks and the investments when they're in some corporate building in, you know, St. Louis, Missouri. Exactly. It's one of those, all they're doing at that point is saying, I'm a fiduciary, I've got your interest. But then Joe Schmo over here is telling me that these are my good investments to put them in, and I put you in it. Well, I, and then let's say it doesn't work out, and your client comes to you and say, "Why, why are these, why are these not performing well?" You can't sit there and tell them what's going on, right? And that's that's what the pre-financial group is not. We're the complete opposite of that. Accountability. Yeah, we're you know we're a candid, diligent guide. We're forthright, correct, Tom? Right. In our re- relationships and in our investment re- approach. Come on, yep. talk to me. Got it. I mean, we we're accountable. <laughs> You're all over it. I don't need to talk to yeah. you. Yeah, you. This is this is a bait and switch pitch here, and and it's it's a little I disheartening. Don't know about that, huh? You don't. Uh, the, these I, guys are serious people. They know what they're doing. You, you think? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I like the fact that our clients can come and see us and look at us and talk to us, and they know exactly what they're who they're dealing with, and they're not talking to an 800 number or a computer screen or a chat box You've or any of that stuff. You You've can like someone. us on Facebook. Love us on www.deprefinancial.com. Yeah, and you, you've got somebody you can talk to as to, you know, get get educated about why you have something in your portfolio. What's it, what, what purpose does it do for you? You know, why, what, what, what is the plan going forward? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's an ongoing process, and we're involved in every step of the equation. The plan is to have a good weekend because we're going to be seeing you later. <laughs> <laughs> Are we out of time? Yeah, we're out of time. Okay. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. If you heard something that you thought you might want to talk to us more about, have us look at your portfolio. You can call us at 859-233-0400. Send us an inf- uh, email at info at deprefinancial.com or look at our website. Hope you've had a enjoyable time listening to us. Thanks for listening to Dupree Financial Group News Radio 630 WLEP.